What's going on, guys? This is another episode of Eclectic Athlete Radio. Now, I know it's been a while. Again, um, I'm in the midst of my semester at uh, San Jose State, finishing up the semester in a few weeks. So I'm in the home stretch, but I've been, you know, really consumed with writing papers and studying all that jazz. But I know, I know you know all that. You don't want to hear it. Why am I doing this episode? So a new documentary came out. It's called The Game Changers. And, you know, within the last... A um, few years, I would say, it's been a really big rise in this um, sort of plant-based movement. Um, you know, you can go to any cafe, you could see, you know, ask for soy milk and almond milk, oat milk now even. Go to any restaurant, you know, they have more and more vegan um, options and even just entire vegan restaurants. And I want to preface this by saying that I have no issue with anyone that's vegan, anyone that's plant-based, Anyone that's trying to better their lives, I mean, really. Um, but this documentary presents evidence saying that, you know, a plant-based diet can reverse heart disease, it can reverse inflammation. Uh, not only that, but that it's an optimal diet for health, longevity, and athletic performance. And it goes even further by saying that meat, on the other hand, causes cancer, raises inflammation, kills your erections, right? So makes all these, um, all these claims. And again, I have no issue if you're, if you're trying to make a change to better your life. You know, I think at the end of the day, we're all trying to make decisions be, you know, based on what we know, based on what information we have to become better people. And I'm not denying, you know, the benefit of plants. Um, you know, I've, I've been using them for years and years, obviously, you know, probably my whole life I've been, you know, technically plant-based, you know, I've always eaten meat and some type of plant food, beans, rice, you know, broccoli, fruits, vegetables, whatever. And they have, you know, powerful antioxidants, polyphenols, tannins, catechins, epicatechins, flavonoids. I mean, I, I do the research. <laughs> the last 10 years, I mean, I've really been on this journey to optimize my own health, my own performance. So I'm looking at any tool I can use to do that. And I don't really care about what tool it is. I think diet is a tool, right? Now, my goal is to help others. And I want others, I want to empower others to, to optimize their health, their performance. Um, you know, again, I, I've interviewed doctors, researchers, I've worked in a research lab for four plus years, so I'm really familiar with, um, with different scientific methods, studies, methodologies, things like that. And now before I get into the analysis of this documentary, um, by now there's been a lot of different reviews on the documentary done by other doctors, researchers, PhDs, dietitians, right? So what do I know, right? I actually, I highly suggest that you listen to those as well because they can give you a, a really great analysis if you don't believe me, right? But I want to introduce a topic that's going to frame my argument. And my goal is to help everyone that's listening become a little bit more open-minded, not just in terms of nutrition, but in general. Okay, if you want to stop listening after this segment, that's totally fine with me. I mean, honestly, I think this is the most important thing I'll have talked about probably in the last year. Okay, it's more of a philosophical concept, but bear with me. So from a moral standpoint, what does it mean to be right and wrong? Is it right to get an abortion? 
Yeah, I went there. Is it right to have the death penalty? Is it right to eat animals? Okay. Now, these are very sensitive and often divisive issues. My goal is not to pick a side. And I don't want to push you one way or the other. This, this episode is not about meat versus plants. I, I don't pick sides like that. I'm really unbiased. I consider myself unbiased. If you know me, I, I pretty much play devil's advocate for any issue. Like if you said, meat is the best food, I'll be like, well, what do you mean it's the best? Like best for what? You know, if you said basketball is the best sport, I'll be like, eh, well, I don't know. I mean, I like soccer. You know, if you said soccer is the best sport, I'd be like, eh, but there's baseball, there's basketball. Right. So I, I'll always, almost always play devil's advocate. I'm always questioning things. And this is what I want you to do. Critical thinking. Question everything you hear, including me. Do your research. But don't just listen to one side of things. OK, now back to this philosophical concept. Is it wrong to eat animals? And that's often the underlying premise behind this plant-based movement, okay? Now, we often think we have answers, and it's so clear to us, right? Any of those issues, you more than likely have, you know, a very decisive stance. But we always meet someone who has opposite stance, and we're always flabbergasted by it, right? Now, let me give you an example. I had a friend recently post about um, eating pigs, right, eating pork. Her argument was, you know, pigs are very similar to dogs. You know, they have the same kind of characteristics in terms of intellect, in terms of personality. And basically her argument was that, you know, you wouldn't eat your dog, right? So why would you eat a pig? And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I agreed with her. Like, I wouldn't eat my dog, obviously. Like, I wouldn't eat a cat. But does it mean it's wrong to do that? I mean, in other parts of the world, they do eat dogs, right? Are they wrong for doing that? Okay, so hold on to this concept, right? We, have, we give different meanings to things. This is due to our frameworks, our paradigms of knowledge. Okay, if you think it's wrong to eat one animal, is it okay to eat another animal? Some people will say, it's wrong to kill all animals, okay? So, with that logic, all right, you can't kill dogs, you can't kill cats and pigs, cows, they're all in the same playing field, chickens. Well, one thing we fail to consider is that plant agriculture actually is responsible for, responsible for millions of deaths, millions. Okay? When they till fields, oftentimes, rabbits, raccoons, mice, squirrels, I mean, all types of animals get killed in the process. Farmers often pay people to shoot um, other intruders like foxes, coyotes. Okay? The fertilizers that we put in these, in these crops, a lot of times that gets into the runoff which affects fish, that kills a lot of fish. We use insecticides, rodenticides, pesticides, which kill insects. Are insects any less valuable than a chicken? Birds that eat those insects also die. 
They're poisoned by those same pesticides. Not to mention deforestation. Okay, now you may, might make the argument, oh, a lot of deforestation is to raise crops to feed animals. Um, that's sort of true. I mean, soybeans, um, some grains, some corn is used for animal feed, but often animal feed includes food that we can't digest as humans, like corn husk, um, different parts of, of the grain that we do not consume, that we don't turn into wheat. Um, right? These are put in, into animal feed, and they can digest that because they have certain bacteria that can break that down, turn it into protein. Okay? Now, back to deforestation. What about the chocolate that you eat? What about the coffee that you get from Starbucks every day? Technically, that's vegan, right? What about the deforestation for those coffee plantations? What about palm oil? Have you ever checked the ingredients in your food? If it uses palm oil, that displaces orangutans, okay, causing their death. Same with soybean oil. Okay, now again, my point is not to chastise or to criticize anyone. It's just to open your mind because there's always a flip side to things. Okay, I'm not saying plant agriculture is bad. But again, the premise behind only eating plants is that, hey, animals are dying in the process. Well, there's a life cycle, okay? Now, let me continue. Again, bear with me. Again, I'm not trying to choose size right now. I'm just trying to raise questions, okay? Now, back to the paradigms of knowledge, right? What makes someone think something's right versus wrong? Okay, this is something I came up with, um, and someone's probably done it already, some philosopher that's more sophisticated than me, but you know, I've been taking the, the couple classes in school that have really been opening my mind. And so I came up with this thing called the paradigm tree. Again, very simplistic. Someone's probably done it already, but that's not the point here, okay? So the paradigm tree. At the bottom of our paradigms are our experiences. We all experience things throughout life. And we might even have the same experiences, but they affect us uniquely. Different events throughout our life, at different points in our life, affect us differently. Okay? Our experiences shape our attitudes and our behaviors. Okay, let me give you an example. Let's say you're in fifth grade. You see this kid, and he's just talking back to the teachers. He's a troublemaker. He's throwing things. You might look at him and say, that's a bad kid due to his behaviors. But let's take a step back. Maybe his experiences were in first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade. He's had bad teachers. Or maybe, you know, he got humiliated in class and his teacher didn't, you know, blamed him. Maybe he got suspended because he lashed out. And now he has this attitude of negativity towards teachers or towards school. Right? His experiences shaped his attitudes and his behaviors. Right? You can take that approach with pretty much anything. Right? Now... On top of that, right, so we have experiences at the bottom. That's our foundation. They shape our behaviors and our attitudes. Now, these are more conscious, right? We're conscious of the behaviors that we do, our attitudes that we have most of the time. On top of that are the meanings that we give to things. Okay, the meanings that we give to things are what dictate the decisions that we make. Now, the meanings are more subconscious, okay? You look at a video 
of factory farming. And that, you know, you watch it over and over and over, subconsciously that's going to affect you, and you're not going to want to eat animals. That's totally normal. That's fair. Right? Now, on the flip side, you have someone that grew up on a farm. They were exposed to working with animals at a young age. They experienced slaughtering animals, which, again, it seems like a horrific, egregious thing. But we've been doing this for centuries, for millennia. Okay? Our hunter-gatherers, that's how they survived. And I'll get into, you know, whether or not we need to do that now. But, again, just bear with me. Um, the point is their experiences shape them in a different way. Now, who was right and who was wrong? Is it right to say, hey, you are an asshole. You are, you're, you know, you're a sociopath if you're okay with eating animals. Right? I mean, is that fair? I don't, I don't, in my opinion, no. Okay. Now, keep, that, keep this in mind, right? Because... Again, at the top are the meanings we give to things with, which inform our decisions. This is what creates paradigms of knowledge. Okay, the paradigm is our framework of how we think, of what we think. And I don't think this is a bad thing. I think it's great to have differing opinions. Okay, even, you know, completely opposite opinions. I think that's what gives life richness. I, I enjoy learning. I enjoy learning from different people that think differently than me, right? If you only learn from people that think like you, you know, you become very close-minded, and that's the issue here. We start forming ideologies, right? When we don't base our decisions on information, we start to base them off belief. I believe that killing animals is bad. I believe that a plant-based diet is the best. This is what humans should eat. You shouldn't kill animals. You shouldn't eat animals. This is based on ideology. Again, I'm not saying that's wrong, but that's just what it is. It's not based necessarily on information. Now, I think this documentary started to address that. It started to give us information saying, hey, actually, meat causes cancer. Meat causes inflammation. So now you have the ideological side, and you also have the information-based side. So now people will run with that, and that's called the confirmation bias you think a certain way, you will look for information that confirms what you believe. And then, again, unfortunately, that makes us close-minded. This is due to a lack of something called reflexivity. Okay, this is something I've learned in um, qualitative research. Now, reflexivity, it essentially means that you're able to extract yourself from your position and look at yourself objectively. You're able to suspend your biases and think, think critically, right? And this is what I'm really trying to get at. Okay, I know I've thrown a lot of terms out, but this is the crux of, of why we have so many disagreements, why we've had so many wars. I mean, all the downfall, the downfall of humans will be because we lack reflexivity, we lack empathy for people that think differently than us. Okay, so think on that. Think on that as we go through this episode. Again, try to keep an open mind and, you know, feel free to reach out. Again, if, if you disagree with me, I've been having this little debate with, with a friend going back and forth, and it's, it's really exhausting. Again, I'm not trying to change anyone's mind. Like, I'm just trying to help you to see that, hey, there's another side to things. And it might not be right, but again, what is right? What is wrong? 
right? So that's what I'm trying to get at. So again, that was my little philosophical um, concept, again, I want you to think about. Now, let's get into the analysis. <clears throat> Excuse me. So first, I'm going to address the research, because this documentary did a great job of posting headlines, articles and studies with provocative titles. They're like, meat causes cancer, 500% increase in risk of cancer. And, you know, if you're not, you know, accustomed to reading research, you might just think, like, whoa, like, I don't want that. Like, I'm going to stop eating meat entirely right now. Okay? So I'm going to address the research. I'm going to address some of the claims that they made, some of the experiments that they did in the, in the documentary, and some of the athletes as well. Because, again, I'm, one of my biggest passions is athletic performance. You know, I'm an athlete. I'm a strength coach. I'm a personal trainer. You know, this is my livelihood. I've been researching this. This is what I do for fun. I mean, I'm always looking for new papers. I'm always looking for new superfoods. And I think that's one thing that this documentary didn't do that really fell short. It wasn't about the power of plants, really. They didn't talk about, they mentioned antioxidants a little bit. They didn't really talk about them much, the different types. I already mentioned flavonoids, catechins, epicatechins. Um, they didn't talk about adaptogens, right? Rhodiola rosea, cordyceps, reishi mushroom, lion's mane. I actually just had a coffee with lion's mane, which is great for cognitive performance, increase in BDNF. I mean, I'm all about it. Again, these are all just tools, right? It's when we become ideological that we think that one tool is better than the other, right? Now, again, they, they use a lot of research. I'm going to talk about why some of this research is problematic, because if there's a study posted by, let's say, Oxford University, you might look at it and be like, wow, that's a really prestigious university. It must be true. What we know is that, one, the type of research, especially nutrition, really matters. Okay, I'm going to get into that. Two, um, I think it would be naive to think that industry does not let me, let me take a step back. Industry, money, okay, at the end of the day, it's all about money, does not influence research decisions, okay? When you're a researcher, you need a grant, typically, to conduct research, okay? It's not necessarily a bad thing if you are funded by a plant-based organization, but, I mean, it might raise a few eyebrows, or it should, right? You might look at this research a little bit more critically. So this is the first, the first part of research is maintaining objectivity. What does that mean? That means that you're not influenced by your biases, especially in quantitative research, right? When you're looking at statistics, when you're looking at yes or no, does meat cause cancer, yes or no? Is plants, are plants and you know, fruits and vegetables better than meat? Yes or no, this is quantitative research. And a second part of that, of objectivity, is stating, revealing where are your, what are your sources of funding, okay? Now, I don't know if you guys knew this, uh, James Cameron, he's the producer, the director of this film, um, he actually owns a pea protein company. He's a CEO and founder of a company, along with his wife. He did not reveal this in the documentary. Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is, I mean, this is laughable. This is 
the biggest irony of all, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who built his career on eating meat and obviously taking steroids, is one of the most legendary bodybuilders of all time. Also, by the way, owns partly owns a supplement company that sells vegan products, and for some reason he was like a co-producer, right? Um, a lot of these doctors that they interviewed, I mean, I'm not taking away anything from them. Obviously, I don't have a doctorate, but Dr. Dean Ornish created the Ornish Diet. He sells books. He leads vegan retreats. Dr. Aaron Spitz, the author of the, he conducted the penis uh, experiment. He sells a, a book about penis function based on plant-based diets. Okay, Dr. Robert Vogel also has a plant-based book out. Um, Dr. James Loomis, contributor to a um, plant-based meal planning website. Um, several of the other doctors contributed to Forks Over Knives, which is another um, plant-based film. So again, they didn't really reveal any of these. And again, if you if you want you know if you think critically, if there was no conflict of interest, you would ask why didn't they reveal that? Okay, so again, I'm not saying that you know delegitimizes what they have to say, but again. Obviously, if you are a plant-based doctor, if you're a vegan doctor, you're going to have great things to say about being vegan, okay? So just keep that in mind. Now, let's go on to flaws in the studies, okay? What types of studies did they use? So in quantitative research, you have several different types of research methodology, okay? The gold standard is a randomized controlled trial, which means that you have control over one group, right? They are the baseline. And you have another group that you're trying to test, okay? For example, let's say a good study would be effects of plant-based diet on athletic performance, right? Let's take a group of uh, 30 athletes. You feed them the exact same thing, okay, and you have another group of, of athletes, and you feed them, so let's say the first group is a con control group, they're eating a mixed diet, okay, omnivorous diet. You have another group that's eating, let's say, meat only. And you have another group that eats a vegan diet. Okay, and then you, you, know, you test them, you, again, same, controlled for calories, controlled for macronutrients, um, you control for their stress levels, for how active they are, for their sleep, and this would be a really great diet. Unfortunately, you can't really do that in humans. I mean, yes, you know, we have access to athletes, but there's a lot of regulations, um, especially for conducting research on, human, on humans. We can't control where these people are going. So the default for uh, nutrition research in particular is um, epidemiology or observational studies where they do something similar, but it's more so, okay, let's take this group of 100 people and we're going to track what you eat and we're going to follow up every couple weeks. Um, and then at the end of five years, we're going to look at how your health changed. Okay, now this seems pretty legitimate, but the issue is this concept of confounding variables. Okay, 
confounding variables are things like, did these people smoke? Did these people exercise? Okay. Did these people sleep five hours a night? Are they shift workers? You know, did they have a social community? How was their mental health? What kinds of foods were they eating? Okay, not only are they eating meat, are they eating McDonald's? Right? Are they having, you know, five Big Macs? Are they eating Taco Bell? Are they skipping breakfast and just binging? And not only that, you know, on top of that, what else are they eating? Like, are they drinking soda along with it? Right? So this is the issue with epidemiology. Like, we can't really control. And by the way, how they record this is through questionnaires. Okay? So, for example, we'll give you a 100-question questionnaire. Okay, what did you eat uh, Monday of two weeks ago for breakfast? What did you eat Monday two weeks ago for lunch and dinner? Okay, can any of you guys remember what you guys ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner just last week? Okay, and now you expect these people to recall exactly what they ate, everything, every single thing, the quantities that they ate, okay, for years and months, you know, for whatever period of time that they chose. So this is an issue because, again, not only is the diet not standardized, but they also have all these other factors that are affecting their health, right? Now, the second part of this is healthy user bias, okay? So, for example, healthy user bias, um, there's something called a blue zone. Okay, a blue zone is a, an area in the world where people are healthier. They have the longest lived people. Okay, the biggest, I think specifically it's um, the largest population of centenarians or people above 100 years old. There's several throughout the world. Um, Sardinia, Italy is one of those locations. I believe Okinawa, um, Japan. And actually here in California, Loma Linda down in SoCal is another one. Now, it's funny because all these different places have, you know, wildly different diets. Right, in Okinawa, they eat a lot of roots and tubers, starchy carbs. Sardinia, they eat a lot of sardines, a lot of seafood, which, by the way, in the documentary, they said seafood is harmful. Loma Linda, it's predominantly a plant-based uh, community. Okay. Now, I want you to hold on to this because this is, becomes really important when we deal with research, okay? Again, um, the group in Loma Linda, they're a large population of Seventh-day Adventists. So this is where healthy user bias comes in. Okay, these are not your typical Americans. They have a spiritual practice, which means they're probably happier. They're more connected to their community, right? If they're going to church all the time. They don't smoke, right? That's against their beliefs. They exercise vigorously. They eat lots of fruits and vegetables. So, oh, also their socioeconomic status, right? That's big. And I'll get to that at the end of the episode because I think that's one thing that's very overlooked. But you have all these different factors. It's not fair to say, oh, well, it must be that they eat a lot of kale. No, they have all these other factors involved, fresh fruit and produce, Right? It's not what you're eating, it's what you're not eating. They're not eating processed carbs. They're not even eating refined sugars, vegetable oils. Okay, by the way, all those foods I just mentioned are plant-based. So let me get a little bit into the definition of plant-based. What does that even mean? Right? I mentioned 
for a large part of my life, I've been plant-based. I mean, it's just a very ambiguous definition. Yeah, I eat, technically, I eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, you know, every meal. Not so much lately, but again, for the last, you know, five years of my life, I've always been looking for that new superfood, acai berries, you know, resveratrol, uh, turmeric, all these plant foods that are rich in antioxidants, right? Spinach, kale, all these foods, pomegranate, red tart cherry juice. I mean, I, guys, I, I do my research. Like, again, I'm not biased. I, I want to use the best tool for, for, my, for my purposes. Right now, man, I lost my train of thought. Basically, again, um, what was I saying? Oh, right. So if you're eating all these foods... You have this healthy user bias. You can't compare that versus the standard American and the standard American diet, right? A lot of this, these epidemiolog epidemiological studies are just looking at standard Americans, right? Anywhere in the world or anywhere in, you know, in the U.S. where we have foods that are incredibly processed, okay, Lots of added sugars, lots of vegetable oils, and I'll get a little bit into the true causes of inflammation because, again, in this documentary, they just state, you know, meat causes inflammation. They don't really give us a reason why, right? They just look at the studies backed by epidemiology, epidemiology and say, look, greater increases in inflammation, heart disease in these populations, okay? So, so keep those things in mind. Now... Let's go on to some of these um, studies, okay? Now, again, they, they didn't really go in deep into these studies. They kind of just flashed uh, some of those headlines. So I did a little bit of my own research. I looked up a study, Red and Processed Meat Consumption and Risk of Pancreatic Cancer. This is a meta-analysis of prospective studies or you know, observational studies. Meta-analyses are one of the best ways to review literature because they, they analyze, let's say, 10 different studies, and they look at, you know, relations between the studies, all right? Now, this is a quote from the paper. This meta-analysis showed a statistically significant positive association between processed meat consumption and risk of cancer. So that's something that the game changers would, would just put that up there, and that's it, right? Listening to that, you are, you know, that, that confirms your bias, right? Meat causes cancer. I don't want pancreatic cancer. But they didn't go into the rest of the results. Okay, this is the rest of what it also says. Our study has some limitations. First, as a meta-analysis of observational studies, we cannot rule out that individual studies may have failed to control for potential confounders, which may introduce bias in an unpredictable direction. Again, going back to confounding variables, that's what they just said. So again, I'm not making this stuff up. This is in the study. Another limitation is that our findings were likely to be affected by imprecise measurement of red and processed meat consumption and potential confounders. So again, reaffirming what I just said. Okay, another study red and processed meat consumption, and risk of stroke, okay? A meta-analysis of prospective cohort studies. So again, they found a positive correlation. Oh, I'll, I'll touch on correlation in a bit. 
Several limitations should also be acknowledged when interpreting the results from this meta-analysis. First, as a meta-analysis of epidemiological studies, it is not able to solve the problem of confounding that is universal in the included studies. We cannot entirely exclude the possibility of some confounders as a potential explanation for the observed findings. For instance, a participant with a higher meat intake tended to be more likely to be smokers, have diabetes and hypertension, and have higher body mass index and higher intakes of alcohol. Okay, that goes back to the healthy user bias. Again, someone, a typical American that eats a lot of meat, right? They're probably not exercising. They're not informed um, on, on the health benefits of, of vegetables and fruits. Um, so that's the healthy user bias. Someone that is vegan is more health conscious by default, right? Depending on what information they got. But they're probably exercising more, right? So that goes back to the healthy user bias. And it also says a second limitation is that all the studies assess diet with food frequency questionnaire. And three studies included assess meat intake only at baseline. Okay, so again, um, that goes back to the, to the methodology. It's not very accurate. Okay, another quote here, carrying out controlled trials is generally an optimal approach to assess the effect of nutritional intervention on disease outcomes. Okay, back to what I said, randomized controlled trials are the best way to do studies. However, such a trial concerning the adverse effect of red and processed meat is hardly feasible. Okay, what they're saying here is that the, the authors are saying they're not able to do the study the way they want, the optimal way. The way they're doing it is suboptimal. They're explicitly stating that. Okay, that's a quote. And, you know, I can go on. I mean, there's other studies. Increased lean red meat intake does not elevate markers of oxidative stress and inflammation in humans. Um, this paper says, our results suggest the partial replacement of dietary carbohydrate with protein from lean red meat does not elevate oxidative stress or inflammation. Okay, in this experiment or this study, they actually measure markers of inflammation like white blood cell counts, lymphocytes, uh, monocytes, C-reactive protein, amyloid A protein, plasma fibrinogen. Okay, so they're actually really getting in-depth into the markers. Whereas in this documentary, they, they did a, an experiment. They're spinning blood. Oh, the plant-based blood is clear. The, um, the meat... The, the people that ate meat have cloudy blood, but they didn't measure any of these markers. I mean, that's the least scientific thing I've ever seen. It's ridiculous. They're just playing on visual effects. Okay? And again, I'm going to post um, links to all these studies in the show notes, so you can go ahead and click them, read them. Um, right? Now, let me touch back on an earlier point. Um, what does it mean to be plant-based? Again, I, I talked about, you know, is it all vegan? Is it vegetarian, lacto-vegetarian, lacto-ovo-vegetarian, pescatarian? Or is it, you know, half and half, meat and plants? I mean, there's no direct definition for it. Yet, when people talk about eating meat, they usually associate it with really low-quality meat. Again, In-N-Out, Burger King, Taco Bell. Right? These are the meat eaters, quote-unquote, that they're studying in these epidemiological studies. They're not studying people who are eating 
sardines, wild-caught salmon, um, organ meats like liver, heart, kidney, um, grass-fed and, and grass-finished, um, you know, lean cuts of meat. They're not studying these people. Whole, you know, pasture-raised eggs, raw milk. This is the type of diet I've been incorporating more into my own lifestyle. And again, I said in the past I was more plant-based. Now I'm not. I think probably I'm eating predominantly plant foods. My breakfast is, you know, four or five pastured eggs. Um, I do a little bit of raw cheese, some raw milk. Um, I do incorporate a little bit of fermented vegetables like sauerkraut, some kimchi. Um, I'll throw some cilantro in there, but and I'll throw some liverwurst in there. So again, that's you know, it's a little bit of plants and a lot of nutrient-rich plant, uh, animal foods. Again, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm not saying someone else that eats a kale smoothie for for breakfast is wrong. It all depends on what's best for you. But again, to to just blanket state make a blanket statement that all meat is bad, it's really ridiculous. You know. So what does it mean to be plant-based? Um, let's say you eat a burger. Let's go. Let's say you go out have a burger, right? That burger probably has buns, right, made from white flour. You're probably ha- going to have some french fries with it. And depending on where you are, you might have a soda or a beer. Of that entire meal, that's probably a 1,000 plus calories, you know, hundreds of grams of fat, which I'm not saying is bad, uh, bad. tons of carbs. The only meat in that meal was a burger, was the meat patty. Yet someone will associate that with a meat eater, right? Yet the, uh, the bun, again, white flour, will spike your insulin, highly... Um, insulinogenic, um, st- uh, chronically spiking your insulin leads to insulin resistance, which leads to diabetes. Okay, French fries. Again, you have a potato, which is already ha- has a lot of carbs. You fry it in vegetable oil, okay, vegetable oil, which is highly toxic to your cells, okay, disrupts cell-to-cell communication, hormone communication, um, and then you have the beer, which is, you know, again, estrogenic and insulinogenic. All those, and soda, right? All those foods are technically plant-based, but why don't we associate those with being plant-based, right? So there's this kind of dichotomy where it's like, if you're a meat eater, you're eating crap meat. If you're plant-based, you're eating only vegetables and fruits, whereas that's not really the case, that's, you know? Um, again, I advocate for, you know, pretty much whole foods of any type, whole natural foods as much as you can. The least processed, the better. And again, if you listen, I'm not, I'm not crapping on having burgers and fries. Like I'll have curly fries every now and then. Um, I'll have burgers every now and then. Uh, actually, I love burgers. Or if you want to have a beer, go have a beer. But we have to really, again, assess what we're eating and how we're labeling those things. Now, let me go on to another study. Okay, they talk about iron being bad for you. Again, the same study I, I uh, talked about above, it says iron-derived reactive, reactive oxygen species have been implicated in the pathogenesis of vascular disease. Basically, um, in the documentary, it talked about iron being um, toxic. It oxidates different cells in your, in your, um, in your body, which can lead to uh, heart disease. Okay. It is suggested that iron can contribute to oxidative stress and inflammation, and that oxidative stress and inflammation are risk factors for diabetes and heart disease. However, reactive oxygen uh, species are produced by free 
but not bound iron. And the body has evolved a metabolic system that minimizes that availability of free iron. So what that means is if you eat iron, usually it gets bound to something and you will absorb it or you will excrete it. That's how normal people process, metabolize iron. Okay, unless you have a genetic condition like hemochromatosis, where our body cannot get rid of iron, our body will absorb it, or it will get rid of what we don't need. Okay, not only that, we actually need iron, okay, blood cell production. If you don't have enough, you become anemic, right? That's not good. And if you're a woman, actually, it's less likely for you to get this iron overload or to become, you know, to, to be negatively impacted by iron. Usually, it's the opposite. Usually women don't get enough iron, um, and that's because of um, their menstrual cycles. They, you guys lose blood, or women lose blood, which excretes a lot of iron. So, again, it's harder for women, women to, to really be affected by too much iron. Uh, let's see. So, again, they just post certain, certain headlines. Iron is bad, causes inflammation. Meat is bad, causes inflammation. But they don't go into the full studies. They don't show you other studies that say the opposite. Right. And to be fair, you can find a study that'll back up anything you say. Okay, it's on you to do the research and look at the other side of things. And one thing I didn't mention with a lot of these studies, with these positive associations, these are something called correlations. Okay, correlations. That's not the same thing as causation. Okay. If I ate if I eat red meat. According to the studies, there's a correlation with increased risk of cancer. That does not mean that meat will cause cancer. Okay, very subtle, but it's very nuanced. Okay, it's actually funny. I posted about this before, where I've looked at um, different different sets of data, and they were they will correlate something like the last one I saw was. Um, the amount of people drowning in pools and the amount of uh, movies that Nicolas Cage stars in, right? There's a correlation between them. The more movies he stars in, the more people that drown in pools. Okay? I think it's pretty obvious that Nicolas Cage is not causing that. Okay, there's tons of studies like that. They're not actually studies, but there's correlation, cor correlational graphs. Okay, correlation does not mean, mean causation. Now, what about risk? Okay, they talk about increased risk of cancer. This is also very nuanced. There's a difference between relative risk and absolute risk. Okay, so they say meat intake increases the risk of various cancers by about 20% or more, right? This is a relative risk. That doesn't mean that you're gonna, your, your chances are actually 20% greater. The absolute risk, so for example, let's, let me give you an example. Uh, if you have the absolute risk of getting cancer at 5%, right, and it increases to 6%, the relative risk is actually 20%, right? So there's a big difference there. If your absolute risk is 5%, it increases to 6%, the relative risk is 20% increased. Right, and so they're just posting the relative risk increase. Now, you might think, I don't want to increase my risk of cancer. You know, that's totally understandable. But there's, guys, first of all, in the world we live in, sadly, 
there are many things aside from diet that will affect your chances of getting cancer. Okay, the air we breathe, okay, brake exhaust, smog, ozone, um, chemicals in our clothes, in our furniture, right, flame retardants, um, EMFs, that's radiation from electronics. Um, there's a lot more studies coming out about the radiation, how it affects our cells. Um, so if you have Wi-Fi, if you have a phone on you at all times, that can be problematic. Um, let's see. I mean, there's, there's tons of different things. Do you smoke? Do you exercise? But on the flip side, it's also, you know, it's also a good thing. That means we can control the risk of getting cancer by doing things like exercising, eating more whole foods, um, you know, using the sauna, getting sunlight, getting fresh air, grounding. I mean, there's tons of things we can do. So epigenetics plays a big role. And this is something that I really want to emphasize. I mean, I work with people. I've had several clients I'm pers as a personal trainer who have been vegan. One client, terrible arthritis. He's been vegan for years. And it's really hard for me because I'm like, man, I mean, this, this diet is supposed to decrease inflammation, yet it's painful for you to get out of bed every morning. Again, I'm not saying veganism caused your inflammation, but, I mean, we have to open our eyes. I actually, I, I interviewed a dietitian who used to be vegan. She had cancer while she was vegan, right? Um, I mean, there's countless, countless of, of stories like that, right? Again, I'm not saying it's bad to be vegan. Veganism is going to cause cancer. But we, again, we have to be critical about these things. Um, personally, I would go, if I had cancer, I would go vegan. I would. I would go more of a ketogenic vegan um, uh, a vegan diet because, and this is actually one thing they didn't mention in the, in the documentary. If I was them, this is something I would really would have, you know, milked. Um, they didn't talk about IGF-1 and mTORC. So mTORC-1 is the, or mTORC is the mammalian target of rapamycin. Again, I'm getting a little scientific, but um, they've shown that a drug called rapamycin has, it, it binds to or it inactivates mTORC. Okay, why is that important? And this is in, in animal models, rat models. Rapamycin inhibits mTORC. In these models, inhibition of mTORC has increased lifespan. So mice that had rapamycin increased their lifespan. They didn't get as much cancer as rats that had high mTORC. So you might think, hey, I want to decrease as much mTORC as I can. Now, mTORC is also stimulated by IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor, which is stimulated by insulin. So a high carbs will stimulate a lot of insulin, will stimulate IGF-1, which will stimulate mTORC. But with this train of logic, I mean, it's very unreasonable and illogical, right? mTORC is actually activated by exercise. So would you not exercise? IGF-1 is increased, again, by carbohydrates, by glucose, so you shouldn't eat carbs in that case, which are mainly plant foods, right? So that leaves fat. High fat does not stimulate mTORC, does not st stimulate IGF-1. Well, isn't fat correlated with, you know, heart disease? So now what are you going to eat? Nothing, right? So you're just going to fast, right? So it's really, this is kind of the kind of logic that they used in this, um, documentary, and I'm surprised that they didn't use that example, but again, they would have probably shot themselves in the foot. So that's that's pretty much the, the gist of 
the science, quote unquote science that they used. Um, I'll talk about, let, let me, let's talk about the experiments that they used because this was a little bit um, infuriating to be honest. Um, oh, the, the first one, they started off the documentary with talking about the gladiators are strong because of a plant-based diet. Okay, this is foolish. Plant-baiters, the gladiators, what, what did, I, did I even say anything right now? It's gibberish. The gladiators ate a predominantly plant-based diet. That is true. That's because they were slaves, okay? You think their, their owners were going to feed them, like, steak and fish and all that stuff? Like, that's expensive, okay? Give them grains, give them rice. That's cheap, right? They didn't do it because it's an optimal diet. They did it because it was cheap. Not only that, but they also did it because it was fattening, Okay, a gladiator with more body fat is less likely to bleed out if they get slashed by a sword, right? These, they're fighting to the death. You don't want someone that's 2% body fat in there. You know, that's, that exposes their muscles more, that exposes their, um, their veins, their arteries, right? They don't want that. So to say that, hey, the gladiators were badasses because they were plant-based, like, come on, that's ridiculous. Okay, they did it because they were forced to. And not only that, they did, they weren't vegan, they did eat some fish, but it was kind of like a gruel type of meal that they gave them, okay? Um, okay, they did a, another experiment. They talked about the blood test, right? I alluded to earlier. They had a couple different, uh, they had, I think, three athletes. Um, they had one of them eat a plant-based burrito, a vegan burrito. Two of them eat a meat-based burrito. Took their blood. The next day, they did the same thing, but they all had the uh, plant-based burrito. And they looked at their blood. They compared it. They said, oh, when you ate the plant-based burrito, it was clear. When you ate the meat-based burrito, it was cloudy. Again, this is not scientific. What does it mean to have cloudy blood? That doesn't indicate anything other than that there's more fat in your blood. That makes sense. If you eat fat, your blood is going to get a little bit more viscous. That's normal, and it goes back to normal once you uh, finish Metabolizing, metabolizing that fat. Okay, that's not innately a bad thing. And obviously they didn't, you know, reveal the markers like CRP, cytokines, prostaglandins, any of that, right? Um, and the other thing is like they didn't tell you any of the other factors, like how did they sleep that day? We know that poor sleep increases inflammation. They didn't tell us what else they ate that day, right? So again, this is just a foolish experiment. Um, then they did the, the penis study, right? They had the same type of thing, a few athletes, a plant-based burrito, you know, one had a meat-based burrito. And they put, you know, contraption around their penis, penises, and, you know, they measured their erections one night versus the other. I mean, uh, gosh, this is ridiculous. First of all, these, these guys were athletes, okay, college athletes. They didn't tell us, again, they didn't control for what was their sleep like, what, was their, what were their stress levels like. Did they have a, a grueling practice earlier that day? Did they have competition? Did they have a rest day on one day versus the other? They didn't tell us any of that, right? They didn't tell us what their testosterone levels were like. They didn't measure that. Ah, oh, man. I mean, so again, this is laughable. This is not science. If you try to, you know, quote this or cite this in a, in a paper, you would get an F, all right? Uh, and last, they did this battle ropes experiment, and this one was just like, it is so, so obvious. Like, how, <laughs> it's, I don't even know what to say about it, 
right? So we have James Wilk. James Wilk's the narrator, UFC fighter of this of this documentary. And you know, he claimed going on a plant-based diet, you know, improved his performance to the point where anyone um, doing this battle ropes challenge could only last, I forget how it was, like 10 or 20 minutes, right? That was the, the record in this gym. And when he tried it after going on a plant-based diet, he went for an hour and he's like, yeah, I stopped just because I was bored. Like, oh my goodness. Like if you've ever used the battle ropes, you know that first of all, this is just physiology, right? The duration that you can go depends on the intensity. So if you have really, 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 really low intensity, you can go for a really, really, really long time. Okay, they weren't measuring his watts, his work done, the force output, like any of that, right? And of course, this whole film was a reenactment anyway, so it's not like he was actually doing this experiment, you know, while they were filming, okay? This is just a reenactment. So again, we don't know. We didn't see him actually do it. We didn't look at anyone else's, um, you know, perceived exer- you know, exertion during the, the battle ropes experiment. So again, to say that this is valid is ridiculous. Um, so let me talk about nutrients, okay? Let's talk about nutrients because I think this is a very big, again, another misunderstanding, something that they didn't talk about too much in, in the documentary. But they, they started off with protein. So let's talk about protein. Okay, we know there's mounds of data, mounds of research, and not epidemiology, epidemiology, that talks about how superior animal protein is for plant protein. Okay, this is not debatable. Okay, but in this film, they made the argument that vegans get more than enough protein on a vegan diet, right? This is based on the RDA, which is 0.8 grams per kilogram. So for someone that's like um, 130 pounds, that's about 70 grams of protein. That's not a lot. And the RDA, this is not an optimal value. This is the minimum, the bare minimum. Okay, if you're, now take an athlete. You need way more than that. There's some new research actually has been coming out, 2.3 to 3.1 grams of kilogram. Okay, that's basically at least your body weight in pounds. So I weigh about 200 pounds right now. That would be 200 pounds of, or 200 grams of protein or more if I was exercising vigorously. Take, let's take someone that's elderly, someone that's aging. We know that once you get past the age of 30, or I'm not sure about the specific age, I believe it's 30 and up, once you start aging, right? We digest protein less efficiently. We lose muscle mass more readily. So someone that is suffering from sarcopenia needs more protein, right? If you only ate 0.8 grams per kilogram, okay, you would, you would be losing muscle at a tremendous rate, okay? Now, is it possible to get enough protein on a plant-based diet? Yes. Yes, it is, okay? People have been doing this for a long time. They use complementary proteins, which basically means you're using different types of um, uh, different types of plant foods. So, for example, rice and beans. You combine them, you get enough protein. The reason for this is because of the amino acids. Okay, and let me get back to that. I'll come back to that. But they made a claim that 
okay, you can get the same amount of protein in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich as three ounces of beef or three large eggs. All right, so three eggs are about 18 to 27 grams of protein. Three ounce steak is about 20 grams. Okay, each of them are about two to 300 calories, give or take, okay? A peanut butter jelly sandwich, or a peanut butter sandwich, that's two slices of bread, okay? That's already 130, uh, 130 calories. That's 30 carbs, only two grams of protein. So to get enough protein from the peanut butter, one serving is two tablespoons, which is 190 calories, and still only seven grams of protein. And that's 17 grams of fat, by the way. Okay, so to make up the difference, you need three servings. That means six tablespoons of peanut butter. That's 570 grams of fat. Or sorry, uh, 570 calories just from the peanut butter. Okay, plus calories from the bread. That's 700 calories to get the same amount of protein. So, yes, you can get the same amount of protein. You just have to eat a ton more. And they, they continue that argument with saying, you know, cows and pigs, um, all these animals, they're just the middlemen. They get their protein from grass. Well, why don't vegans just eat grass? I mean, that's the type of logic they're using. This is ridiculous. The reason they can eat those foods and get their protein from it is because they have different bacteria in their gut than us. They can break down cellula uh, cellulose. They have bacteria that produce cellulase, right? It's an enzyme that breaks down those, those materials. Okay, cows in particular, they have four stomachs, okay? They can digest these plant foods, okay? Not only that, cows eat a ton all day. They graze all day, right? So they made this claim, you know, all plant foods have they contain all the essential amino acids. And this is the key term or key phrase. They said in varying proportions, varying proportions. That means that the proportions are off. You don't get the same amount of protein. You have limiting amino acids. So think about it like, like uh, using Legos is the analogy I like. Let's say you're building a, a set with Legos and you need... Um, you need five red Lego blocks and ten blue Lego blocks, okay? But you only have two blue Lego blocks. It doesn't matter how many red ones you have. You don't have enough blue ones, so you can't build what you want to build. It's the same thing with plant foods. They don't have, you know, there's very few complete proteins in plant foods. I believe soy is one. Hemp might be one. Um, but besides that, you know, beans, rice, all these other foods... You know, they try to make a claim, like broccoli, like I've heard that, that argument, broccoli has as much protein as steak. You'd have to eat like five bags of broccoli to get that same amount of protein. So if you want to, I mean, go for it. You're going to be on the toilet for a long time. Um, so not only that, let's talk about more, more about um, the amino acids. Plant proteins are low in leucine. This is the key amino acid for muscle protein synthesis. When our muscle mass drops, our metabolism decreases. As we age, it's harder to get that same amount of protein from the same foods. It's harder to build muscle. And we know longevity is also correlated with how much strength we have. Okay, I know correlation is not causation, but think about it this way. 
let's take someone who is 80 years old. They fall, they break their hip. Okay, first of all, if you are not consuming enough protein, you have less muscle mass, that break might be worse because you don't have that muscle around it to, to hold it in place. You might not be able to push yourself up. Call 911. What if you're alone? Okay, a lot of, uh, this is a real life case. Like a lot of people, elderly people die this way. The recovery is worse, right? So these things are, you know, it's not just about building muscle and looking good and aesthetics. It's about longevity. So in a way, the more muscle we have as we age, the better. We know muscle mass, lean muscle tissue, increases insulin sensitivity. When we, come, when we become insulin insensitive, that means that we, you know, that's what happens when we get diabetes, right? Once we get that, you know, it's really hard to maintain good life quality, especially as you age. You need more insulin, more and more, right? You need medication. You want to avoid that as long as you can. So bottom line, like plant proteins are far less bioavailable than animal proteins, okay? They have less methionine, less lysine, these are essential amino acids. Again, yes, you can mix proteins. That's up to you. If you want to eat a lot more protein, again, be my guest. But don't, I mean, this, this film is claiming that it's the same. It's really not, okay? Now, let's talk about other nutrients, because this is one thing that they completely omitted from the film. They didn't talk about nutrients in, in meat or the nutrients in plants, and I wonder why, and this is why. Similar to protein, the nutrients in animal foods are way more bioavailable, okay? Bioavailability means that you can absorb them more efficiently, okay? Again, plant foods, I'm all for them. They have tons of antioxidants, great sources of those, phytochemicals, they fight free radicals, which help fight inflammation. But by the way, um, humans actually produce our own internal endogenous um, antioxidants, Okay. One of the main ones is glutathione. There's supra, uh, superoxide dismutase. Right? We produce our own antioxidants. That's why antioxidants aren't essential. They're not considered essential nutrients because we produce our own. Again, it's great to get more, especially if you're really active, but um, they're not essential for that. And if you want optimal health, I do recommend that you, you know, eat foods rich in those. But let's talk about essential nutrients, okay? This means that we can't produce them in our body. We need to get them from our diet. Vitamin K, okay? Vitamin K2 is the active form. This is only found in animal foods. Plant foods have K1, which has very low conversion. Same thing for iron, okay? In animal foods, there's heme iron, which is highly bioavailable. In animal foods, there's non-heme iron. Vitamin A. The active form is called retinol. This is found directly in animal foods, egg yolks, liver, things like that. Beta carotene is what's found in plant foods, like carrots and yams, things like that. Again, great for their phytochemicals, but the conversion from beta carotene to retinol is tremendously low. Okay, Omega-3s, and this is a, a particularly important one. Okay. Essential fatty acids, so omega-3s and omega-6s. Why are these so important? Okay, the two main ones that we need are DHA and EPA. They fight inflammation, and they also support cognition and brain development, as well as a ton of more 
processes. Okay, they're only found in animal foods. Only, I believe, sea algae is probably the only known plant food. But again, we don't know the conversion rate. I mean, there's no studies done on that. Um, and how many of you are eating sea algae, right? In plant foods, I'm sure you've seen, you know, omega threes. The form in plant foods is called ALA. Okay, you can find it in flaxseed, walnuts. Of the two, I would only eat walnuts because flaxseed is also highly estrogenic. But you could just say, oh, I'll just eat more walnuts, right? Chia seeds. Well, again, we have to convert ALA to EPA and DHA. That conversion is about 10%. All right? And then we have, you know, B vitamins, the same thing. But let me touch a little bit more on omega-3s because these are, right, th this documentary claims meat you know, increases inflammation, yet we see foods like salmon that have high amounts of, of omega-3s. Even grass-fed, grass-finished beef and meat um, have really optimal ratios of omega-6s to omega-3s. Now, what about this ratio? This is really important, okay, especially for inflammation. A lot of people that go on the plant-based diet feel better. That's fantastic. That's great. Guess what? That's why when people go keto or go paleo, even carnivore, they feel better in America because of the standard American diet. It's basically an elimination diet. You're removing these, these other chemicals like vegetable oils, which are high in omega-6s. Why is this important? Okay, omega-6s they incorporate themselves into our cells. Every cell in our body has a membrane. Okay, think about a ball, a basketball. The outer layer, that's a cell membrane. It keeps things out, it lets things come, come in. When these cells get damaged, they repair themselves. Okay, omega-6s are within those cell membranes. Now, when we use something like um, vegetable oil, especially when it's heated or fried, those become damaged. Now what happens if we put a damaged omega-6 into the cell membrane? Now that cell becomes damaged. That's what oxidation is. Right, so now we have to repair it. But what if there are too many omega-6 molecules in our body? That's what the American, standard American diet is. The optimal ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 is about one, depending on who you ask, depending on the literature, Let's say one, two, one to four. Okay, one to two, one to four. In the standard American diet, it can be anywhere from one to 15 to one to 20. That's what causes inflammation. And again, this isn't the, that's not the only thing. Okay, stress causes inflammation. Guess what? Exercise causes inflammation. And that's not a bad thing. It's how can you balance the inflammation, right? So if you go on a plant-based diet, you're cutting out... Uh, burgers, you're cutting out hot dogs, cutting out pizza. Again, meat is only a small part of that. But what is that meat cooked in? All right, I guarantee you any restaurant, unless they are very purposeful, they are using canola oil, soybean oil, any other type of you know peanut oil. These are all vegetable oils that are highly toxic, especially when they're fried, especially when they're cooked and heated to high heat. Okay, add in refined sugar, high fructose corn syrup, high stress, 
right? The poor sleep. This is the American way of life, right? Now, if you go plant-based, you're going to be a little bit more um, conscientious of what you're doing, what you're eating. You're not going to go to eat a burger. You're going to eat a salad. Guess what? Salads aren't fried, so you're not going to have those vegetable oils in them. You're going to want to go to the gym. You know, you want to feel better. You're going to start exercising. You might give up smoking. You might not drink as much alcohol, right? So that, again, that is a really important. Not only is it our omega-3s important for cognition, especially in development. Okay, I've been seeing more and more um, cases of, of malnutrition. I just read a paper, this kid died. These parents were charged with manslaughter because they kept their kid on a vegan diet, and he died. They had two other kids that were all also malnourished. That's so despicable. Okay, you, you tell me that it's bad to, to kill an animal, but you literally killed your kid. And again, I'm not putting this on all people who are vegan or plant-based, but again, it comes back to ideology. Your ideology made you blind to the facts. It led you to neglect your own health. That's not right, okay? Let me move on. B12. In the, in the documentary, they just said, hey, Omnivores and vegetarians, none of them get enough B12, so just supplement with it. That's BS. Get plenty of B12 only in animal foods and in bioavailable forms, okay? Again, if you want to make the argument that, you know, I'm just going to supplement. Again, be my guest. But ask yourself, is that an efficient diet? Let me use another analogy. Would you, let's say you have to fill up your gas tank. Are you going to go to a gas station that caught that charges $10 a gallon versus one that charges $3 a gallon if they had the same quality. You obviously wouldn't want to spend more for the same quality, right? I see this all the time, like, you know, driving from San Jose to Sacramento. I'm like, man, I'm just going to, you know, they have Chevrons in both places. They have Costco's in both places, but it's always more expensive in the Bay Area. So I'm like, right, you know, I'll just fill up when I get home. Right? I don't want to spend money, spend energy. So why would you do the same with your diet? Again, if you want to, I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but to say that it's optimal, right? To me, that's questionable. So what, what else about B12? A lot of people saying, you know what? I'm still going to stick with my plant-based diet. It doesn't cause inflammation. Well, hold on a second. Deficiency in B12, first of all, it's, again, an essential nutrient necessary for cognition, energy production. Being deficient, especially for too long, can cause irreversible damage. Okay? Now, we've seen that a chemical called homocysteine is elevated in those deficient with B12. Homocysteine, there's strong evidence that shows Elevated plasma homocysteine is a contributor to chronic conditions like cardiovascular disease. Again, I'll post a study that I read, and there's countless studies that show vegetarians and vegans are chronically deficient in B12. Sometimes you can't notice unless you get blood work. And again, ask yourself, are you doing blood work or are you just going by feel? You might feel good. Again, you're taking out these you know, processed sugars, vegetable oils, right? I'm, I'm belaboring the point, right? But... It's really important. 
B12 deficiency can often be masked by increases in folate, which can be found in plant foods. And again, not very bioavailable, but if you eat enough spinach, let's say, you can get enough folate. Now, again, I'm not trying to you know, be a fear monger. This is, that was a tactic in this documentary that really pissed me off. But I, I want to give you the information. There's always two sides, right? And this documentary is not science. It's not PubMed. Okay, this is entertainment. All right? Now, we can go on about calcium, other nutrients. But the point is, each type of food, animal foods and plant foods, both, both have unique qualities that they are superior in to the other. They mentioned iceberg lettuce has more antioxidants than salmon. I mean, what kind of, what kind of, you know, comparison is that? That's like saying soccer players score more goals than basketball players. It's not the same sport. Of course they do. Soccer players are better at dribbling with their feet than football players. That's obvious. Iceberg lettuce has virtually no nutrients. It's pretty much just water. So to compare it to salmon, which is rich in choline, essential fatty acids, rich in protein, bioavailable protein, again, it's foolish. Okay, so again, they're just using gimmicks. They're trying to um, get a raise out of, out, of, out of you, right? Don't be fooled by these gimmicks and the, these... Technically, it's true. It does have more antioxidants, but again, it's the context that matters, okay? So bottom line, plant proteins are far less bioavailable than animal proteins, just like other nutrients. Again, I'm not going to eat plant foods for my protein, and I'm not going to eat animal foods for the antioxidants. Okay, so let's get into the plant-based diet for performance, okay, for athletes. So the, the documentary already made a big case that, you know, if you want to increase longevity, improve your health, plant-based is the way to go. Now, what about athletic performance? They did a great job of using a lot of anecdotes um, from various athletes and how they improve their performance. Now, I'm going to go through specifically a lot of these athletes, but I want to start off with um, where they went wrong or, or again, the, the flaw in their logic. Okay, a lot of sports require um, carbohydrates, right? For high-intensity, carbohydrates are the preferred choice, right? So we store them in our body as uh, glycogen. We break it down to use it as fuel. Well, what are where do carbohydrates come from, right? They come from plants, sweet potato, rice, right? All these foods. So it's not really a mystery that you're going to do well in a, on a high-carb diet, essentially. That doesn't necessarily mean that cutting out um, animal foods is beneficial. Now, again, one of the kind of myths that they were talking about is that you need protein for energy. And I've actually never heard of that before. People don't eat protein for energy. You can actually get it, because obviously it has a caloric value, and in your body, you can break down muscle into energy through gluconeogenesis. But that's not the preferred fuel. It takes a lot of energy to do that. Um, so, you know, I don't even understand where that claim came from. We use protein to build, right? And again, I already detailed how, um, how efficient animal protein is at building. They also talk about the brain, how it's desperate for glucose, and that's the only thing that it uses as energy. And that is actually just straight up false. 
Our brain can also use ketones, which we use when we go into sort of a, a low glycogen or a, a glycogen-depleted state. Um, our liver produces ketones. Again, it's a natural phenomenon. We do that when we're fasting, when we go for long periods of time. And if we look back at our ancestry, this makes sense. You know, during times of famine, when we didn't have food available, um, we would have to produce ketones as energy, right, to, to preserve our muscle mass. So ketones are actually the preferential choice for our brains. We, we, it's hard to get into ketosis, but I'm sure you've heard of the ketogenic diet. Um, now, going off of that, talking about ancestry real quick before I get into the athletes, um, they present evidence that, you know, our teeth are, are made for, for chewing plants, right, making the case that we didn't evolve to eat animals. Now, again, we've been eating animals for two million years, which, again, if it was true that humans got cancer and inflammation from eating meat, I'm not exactly sure how we would have continued to thrive and evolve um, to stay around. How did, why didn't we go extinct if everyone's getting cancer from eating meat? Again, this is due to um, industrial processes, um, refined oils, refined sugars, all these added chemicals, along with all the added stressors that we have in today's modern life as opposed to our, our ancestral way of life. Now, again, we actually evolved. There's anthropology that will show we evolved because we started eating animal products. Our brain size, if we look at the records, our brain size started to increase, right? And people are hypothesizing or theorizing that it's because of the increase in animal fats. As again, our brain is, I believe, 60% fat, okay? We need those, and I already talked about omega-3s, choline, which are which are found in, in foods like salmon, some meats, really rich in eggs. Um, these are crucial for cognition, for brain development. So we see that around you know, 2 million years ago, our brain sizes started to increase. Now, prior to that, I agree, you know, we probably didn't eat much meat. We, didn't, we weren't created like dogs. We don't have those big canines. We weren't created like tigers. We don't have claws or anything like that. But that's the thing, humans, our greatest strength is that we are opportunists. We wouldn't have evolved if we didn't, you know, take advantage of what we had available to us. We were scavengers whenever, you know, let's say, you know, some tiger ate, um, you know, attacked its prey. Actually, um, most, most predators ate primarily the organ meats, because again, they're so rich in nutrients. So it's pretty amazing how, um, how innately they, they go after those internal organs. Whereas today, we only go for muscle meats, but that's another story. Um, but we would go after and eat whatever is left, right? The scrap, we were scavengers. You think we would just let that food go to waste? No, definitely not. At the same time, once we started eating more and more of that, we started evolving, our brain started to increase in size. We started using, when we, and especially when we found um, fire, discovered fire, we started utilizing that to our advantage. We started seeing an increase in hunting, right? Uh, making spears and using rocks. Our arms, our shoulder joints are a perfect example of, of being able to, to utilize that throwing arm, right? Again, that goes back to anthropology. This isn't just made out of you know, thin air. Um, throwing rocks, 
it's different than how, how monkeys uh, are. Their shoulder joint isn't the same. So again, we started to develop this capacity for hunting. And again, they became innate to our culture, our tradition of what it means to be human. Um, and again, yes, we, that doesn't mean we stopped eating plants, right? Back then, we, we didn't discriminate, right? We wouldn't, you know, eat primarily plants. We would forage for berries, wild plants, but also keep in mind that a lot of plants were not the same way they are now. We, we have uh, hybridized them. We've, you know, cultivated them in a way that they're not toxic. A lot of wild plants are toxic, especially um, those leafy greens, different mushrooms. Berries look completely different now than they do then. They're much bigger, uh, much sweeter. We've done that on purpose to, again, allow us to consume more or, you know, kind of trick us into consuming more, really. Um, but again, we were opportunists. We used everything around us. We ate nose to tail. That means the bones, the cartilage on the bones, the organs, the feet. I mean, go to different populations around the world, and they still eat that way. In those populations, they have a lot less cardiovascular disease, a lot lower mortality rates. Um, the one thing that offsets us is that our, you know, our capacity for for medical care is much higher. Our health care is much better. Um, but at the same time, think about, like, why are our rates of obesity so high if we have, you know, all this technology, if we have, um, you know, all these things available to us. So keep that in mind. But again, no, we didn't evolve like, like a tiger did or a wolf did. We don't have those same skills. But at the same time, think, what about foods like grains? You can't just, you know, eat grains from the stock. We actually had to grow them, right? We, that wasn't around... Um, many grains weren't around back then. Same thing for beans. You can't just eat raw beans. You have to cook them to remove a lot of those toxic chemicals. Um, you can say the same for many, many um, different plant foods, right? So who's to say what's right and what, what we shouldn't eat? Again, um, I talked about sea algae, how it contains things like um, omega-3s, right? Is that natural? Should we deep dive to, catch, you know, to, to harvest some of that sea algae? So again, it's kind of arbitrary and... Again, I think that logic is flawed, saying that we shouldn't eat animals because we didn't evolve to eat animals. You're right. They're right. We didn't evolve to eat animals. We evolved because we ate animals, okay? Now, off of that, let's talk about these athletes, okay? So I already talked about, you know, a lot of these athletes, they saw improvement in performance from going plant-based. But as I alluded to before, it's not necessarily that plant-based is superior. It's that you're removing a lot of these um, toxic chemicals to our body, these vegetable oils. Again, if you're going to go from eating a burger to eating a salad, you're going to reduce that inflammation, right? It's not necessarily that spinach is better than, than beef. It's different. But again, how is that beef cooked? How is it raised, right? So Carl Lewis, one of the best Olympic athletes, one of the most fam famous uh, Olympic athletes. I didn't know he was actually vegan or plant-based, and so, you know, they showed how he broke all these records after going plant-based. That's great. Um, he was actually caught doping as well. So there's that. Um, Kendrick Ferris, I've never heard of him before, but he is a weightlifter. They talked about how he, you know, went plant-based and he felt better. He started, you know, improving his PRs, personal records. Uh, well, his best placing in the Olympics was eighth. So again, not a top, you know, he is an elite athlete, top of the world still, but not the best in the world. And actually, funny enough, Ilya Ilyin. So in 2012, uh, I forget the other other year. I think 
don't know if it was 2016 or 2008, he actually won both times. He won gold, and he is an example of a vegan athlete. Ilya Ilyin is actually vegan. But again, he was caught doping, and he was stripped of those gold medals. He's in the same weight class as Kendrick Ferris. So it's funny that they didn't mention him, right? Now, that again, that just goes to show you how they uh, cherry-pick data to show you the examples of successful plant-based athletes. Um, I like how they didn't talk about Usain Bolt, arguably the best track and field athlete of all time, right? During the Beijing Olympics, you know, there was uh, some report that he was eating 100 chicken nuggets per day, right? So if meat and protein, you know, meat, animal protein was so bad for him, um, why did he go on and, and win gold, you know? I mean, again, one of the most famed athletes of all time. Nate Diaz, okay? Actually, you know, there's reports that he's not vegan, um, I believe during his um, camp, so when he's actually preparing for a fight, he does eat predominantly plant-based or vegan, but during the off-season, he does include eggs and fish. But the big story with him was that he fought Conor McGregor, and he won. And so, again, they, they go to this dichotomy of Conor McGregor eating steaks every day, right? According to him, he was, he was eating steaks for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, which, I mean, that's pretty awesome. But he lost, Right? So they're making the case, you know, Conor McGregor, plant-based, beat this meat-eating um, dude, Conor McGregor. What they didn't mention was that Conor McGregor had to move up in weight class. Okay? He went from about 155 to 170 pounds in 11 days. Okay? So there's two sides of it here. Um, the original athlete that McGregor was going to fight, he had to drop out. I don't know if it was an injury or something like that. And so they called Nate Diaz. They're like, hey, you know, we want to set up this fight. With 11 days, that's not a lot of time to prepare. So that, I mean, Nate Diaz is an outstanding athlete, one of the best, um, definitely probably will go down as one of the best in MMA history. So for him to say 11 days of preparation, I mean, that's not a lot. But at the same time, he said, all right, well, I'm not going to move down in weight. You have to move up in weight. And that's completely different, right? You, he had to gain 15 pounds, 15, 20 pounds in 11 days. I mean, that sounds like it's amazing, right? You could just eat, slip your face to gain all that weight, but it changes the way you move, the way you fight. I mean, it's a very technical sport, right? And, and so, yeah, Nate Diaz did win. But they also didn't mention that McGregor won the rematch, right? So, again, this is just... Uh, Again, another example of how they cherry pick and just show you one set of things. Now, my favorite, Patrick Baboumian. He was shown throughout, throughout the documentary, and they talked about how he's a strong man. So if you don't know, um, strong man is different than a weightlifter or a powerlifter. They do specific events, um, and, and they compete in the world's strongest man competition. They do various different, um, different uh, exercises, right? And so they were saying how he's an example of a plant-based athlete. And actually, I think Patrick Bogumian is completely vegan. Um, he's broken, you know, a couple different world records. And so, again, another example, hey, you don't need animal protein. You don't need meat to be strong. And there's a quote that he says. And in the film it says, how can you get as strong as an ox without eating meat? And my response was, have you ever seen an ox eating meat? This was a quote by um, Patrick Bogumian. And at that point, I was like, man, this is, this is messed up. Because some people are going to fall for this. 
This is so backwards. At the same time, lions only eat meat, so why don't we compare ourselves to lions? We're not similar to oxen. We're not similar to cows. Ox are ruminants, as I talked about before. Like cows, they have different digestive systems. We have different bacteria that can um, absorb protein from plants, from grass, from the bacteria in those in those um, in that type of food. Humans can't do that. Again, they also graze all day. You know, some people might make the same comparison to gorillas. Uh, gorillas actually are anatomically different. Their tendons are actually a lot longer than human tendons. And what that means is they can transmit a lot more force. So tendons are more strong, more sturdy, more stiff than muscles. Um, they typically don't tear as easily as muscles. So whenever you pull a hamstring, right, usually it's in the muscle belly, not in the tendon, because tendons are much stronger. So that's part of the reason why they're so much stronger than us. Um, but again, I mean, why don't they compare us to rabbits? Rabbits eat grass, right? So again, this comparison is just foolish. Um, but going back to his accomplishments, so uh, one of his world records was, let's see, he did a yoke carry. If you've never seen the yoke, it's basically kind of a rectangular barbell, if you can imagine it, where you step underneath, you put it on your back, and you hang weights on the bottom. Okay, so again, imagine like half part of a rectangle with the bottom cut out. The barbell sits on your back, again, comes down on the sides. His record is 1,216 pounds, um, doing it in, I believe, I believe the record was walking for 10 meters with that weight. And specifically, he's the fastest one to do that, to carry that weight 10 meters, okay? Sounds pretty amazing. I mean, hey, I, I could not even lift that up, okay? Definitely one of the strongest people in the world in general, but... In comparison to actual strongmen, okay, he does not even come close. Earlier this year, I went to the Arnold Classic, and this is one of the major competitions for strongmen. Okay, we had, if you watch uh, Game of Thrones, we had the mountain there, Bjorn Thornton, I believe is his name. Some, some, it's a weird Icelandic name. But, uh, we had Brian Shaw, and these, these two go head-to-head -head every year. These are the top two in the world. We had 10 competitors. Uh, I didn't see Patrick there. Okay, he's not even in the top 10. Not even in the top 10 in the world, okay? And again, I mean, he's still stronger than the average human, but if you want to compare strongmen, compare him to other strongmen, right? To show you an example of how, strong, how much stronger these guys actually are, they also did the yoke carry in at the Arnold Classic. Um, and so, actually, I'm not sure if they did it at this Arnold Classic, but it's one of the events, right? The opening weight is 1,300 pounds, 1,300, that's the opening weight, which is already more than Patrick's record. The second round is 1,565 pounds, okay? So, again, it just shows you, like, it's just an arbitrary record, okay? It's like saying, you know, I have the record for, you know, the most times flipping a penny in a minute, like, okay, that's great, you know? Um, but again, compared to these actual elite strongmen, doesn't even come close. So, again, you know, and they had other examples of, of various other athletes. Um, I forget his name, Brian or Brandon Jennings, a boxer who went um, plant-based. I mean, 
of course, he's going to see an improvement in performance. He talked about he didn't even know what asparagus was until a couple of years ago. He said growing up, he would eat fried chicken and collard greens. I mean, I already talked about how frying foods is not good. So, I mean, come on, it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Some of the football players talked about how they eat, you know, Popeyes on every away game or something like that. Um, so, again, it, you can't compare, you know, the standard American. You can't compare, and again, these athletes are not standard Americans. But these athletes are, will be elite no matter what. Like, let's be honest here. I work with collegiate athletes, and their diets are not the best. But they still are D1, Division I collegiate athletes. They're still, they're still the top in the game. Now, why is that? It's because of all the hours they put in building up their skill, their strength, their speed, their power, right? Diet would optimize that, right? But that's not going to, that's not going to break them, okay? There's so many other factors. Elite athletes will be elite regardless. Like I just mentioned, Usain Bolt ate 100 chicken nuggets a day. I don't recommend anyone do that, okay? We have various examples in the NBA. Okay, Joel Embiid, one of the top players in the NBA, superstar center, um, he eats, uh, he's known for eating a burger before a game, okay? I definitely don't recommend that either. Um, we know Lamar Odom and Dwight Howard, you know, they had sugar addictions. They would eat, you know, bags and bags of candy before and after games, and they were still, I mean, both played for the Lakers, made a, a playoff run, a championship run. I mean, guys, athletes are not nutritionists. They're not dietitians. They don't have the best knowledge in terms of nutrition. They are outstanding at their sport. They are very skilled. They're very talented. They put in hard work, you know, that most of us could not do. But again, if we're going to compare, you know, them on a crappy diet and improving their diet, of course, they're going to see some improvement. But now we also see athletes getting injured. Kyrie Irving is one of these athletes who went plant-based. I'm not sure if he's completely vegan, but I mean, he's out on injury right now, literally, shoulder injury. He hasn't had shoulder injuries before. Uh, we know, you know, back to when they played the Warriors for the first time, you know, he was out in that series. And ever since then, you know, he's been having lingering knee issues. Last year with the Celtics, you know, he was out a number of games. We had Damian Lillard who went plant-based last year, and he said that, you know, he went plant-based for, you know, five months, and he couldn't keep weight on. He had to stop, right? So, again, and now we see, you know, this isn't just, this, this doesn't just pertain to, to athletes, we see doctors and just people in general coming off of a vegan diet. We see all these famous YouTubers who, who stopped their vegan, vegan lifestyle because they were you know, starting to, to feel terrible. You know, um, So again, it can be a healthy change. I think removing these damaging compounds can be great, but at the same time, is it optimal? It's a diet that you have to supplement with and that you can potentially, you know, wear down your body, lack of collagen, right? We know with athletes, our joints take a beating, our ligaments, our tendons. Collagen is the only thing that can regenerate that because that's what they're made of. More, most of our skin, our nails, our hair, made out of collagen. Okay, and we actually we see um, research from, from one of my mentors, uh, Keith Barr over at UC Davis, uh, brilliant guy, genius, literally. You know, he started doing research on improving synthesis of collagen in tissues, right? So he does a lot of that research. He's one of the world leaders in that. And I remember, actually, it's funny, when I used to work at a physical therapy clinic, 
I was talking to one of the therapists about, you know, ligamentous injury. And at that time, you know, she was like, yeah, there's nothing that we can do um, to, to repair, you know, ligament damage. And I was like, no, actually, you know, Keith Barr has actually done some research showing that, you know, taking, you know, 10 to 20 grams of collagen um, 50 minutes before exercise with a little bit of vitamin C can improve um, collagen synthesis, right? So now we see that it's a very common practice, and now we see collagen everywhere, right? Collagen for hair and skin and nails. I do it every day before exercise. So, and again, vitamin C, that doesn't come in, in animal foods. That comes from plants. So again, we see this perfect harmony of plants and animal foods, okay? So, oh man, this is a ton of stuff here. Let me wrap it up, okay? The last thing is the environment. So they talked a little bit about it, and let me just say, um, again, mi very misleading. Some of the research out there shows that animal emissions are up to 80%. I mean, that makes literally no sense. Think about how many cars are on the road all the time. Planes, planes consume like a million gallons or like something insane of fuel per second. It's absolutely crazy. And think about how many planes are flying across all the world at all times. Trains, right? So to say that animals emit more than transportation, more than like where your place of work is, like think about all the electricity they're consuming, it doesn't make, it makes no sense. And again, that's a misconstru, uh, misconstruing the data. What happened with, with those numbers is they, they detailed the life, not only the life cycle of, of animals, so when they're on pasture, they took into account the emissions they emitted from the life cycle to being you know, slaughtered, to being processed, to being shipped. Okay, and that's fine, okay. But now they compared it to transportation, and what they compared in transportation was only the emissions from the exhaust, from the tailpipe. They didn't take into account making the vehicle, shipping it across the world, into the parking lots, into those dealerships, and then driving them around. So again, that's a very unfair and just you know libelous um, comparison. So let me finish up, okay? Again, with the environment argument, it's very complicated, but um, there's actually a new wave of regenerative farming, which um, there's a, a farm out in, I believe, Atlanta or Georgia, White Oak Pastures. They've actually shown that their farm is a carbon sink, which means it takes out more carbon from the atmosphere than it emits. And that's because the, the livestock there are grazing on grass all day, they're pasture-raised, they're regenerating the soil. And this is, again, another wormhole, another rabbit hole that, that I can get into for, for another hour, okay? I'm not an expert on this, but again, I've been doing my research. I, I dive into everything I can, right, to make sure I, I'm making informed choices. But essentially, the soil has been depleted of minerals. Um, there's some data show that we have only 60 harvests left before we have you know, irreparable damage to our soil. So think about that. And this, this includes plant agriculture again. So um, with animals grazing, they're putting nutrients back into the soil, right? Through their manure, through their urine, they're putting uh, nutrients back in there, their nitrogen, things like that. So they're regenerating the soil, which increases growth, which again, takes out carbon from the atmosphere. Now, again, I'm not I'm not a fan of livestock, or sorry, excuse me, I'm a fan of livestock. I'm not a fan of factory farming. Okay, if you want to make that argument, I'm 100% on board. I believe that climate change is a big issue, okay? It is. 
But it's funny because I'm stuck in between these two camps. Some people don't believe in climate change, and some people do. Some people don't think you should be animals. Some people do. I'm, again, I'm in both camps. I think these are pressing issues, especially with the ethical debate. But again, we have to look at both sides, weigh the pros and cons, and, and really make that informed decision. And I, lastly, I don't think we should push ideology on anyone. What you believe is not necessarily what I believe. It's not necessarily what your neighbor believes. We shouldn't impose on each other. But again, we should reflect and um, make sure that we, we can step out of our own shoes, put ourselves in someone else's shoes. Um, there's a, a quote that I love. It's, you know, when you're in the bottle, you can't see the label. Right, what that means is when you're really in it, when you're in that ideology, you can't, you can't think or see through a different lens, right? So lastly, let me, let me wrap up and let me talk about the socioeconomic issue I talked about with the Seventh-day Adventists. Now, I think that we have one of the main issues with all this is that we have lost the connection to food. Okay, we have food on demand. Like fast food or, or, you know, food delivery was, you know, sort of new. I think when I was growing up, you know, it would pr uh, pretty much only be with pizza. But obviously fast food has been around for a while, right? You can go to Taco Bell, in and out you know, up to, you know, what, midnight, 2 p.m. Grocery stores on every corner, late, open late. Now we can order food from the touch of a button on our phones from anywhere we want, right? Uber Eats all these different types of food delivery services. And so we've lost this connection to food. We have food in cupboards at all time. Our fridges are stocked. We eat out of boredom. We don't eat out of nutrient um, need. And so, especially in this country, in, in first world countries, we are very privileged and we, we forget about that. And so we have to take into account, right? Not everyone in the world has access to plant-based meat all these vegan supplements, you know, plant-based protein, or again, just supplements in general, we can't expect everyone in the world to go vegan. At the same time, I don't want everyone in the world to eat more meat. I think we should, actually, I think we need to eat less. Obviously, we see obesity, diabetes, all these issues on the rise. Instead of Meatless Monday, we should do a, a fasting Monday. Like, who's tried a 24-hour fast? Right, like you feel so good. <laughs> Again, I'm not trying to push my ideology on you, but I've seen the benefits um, from the research as well. But my point is, we have this obsession with eating, and to the point where we don't even see food for what it is, for where it came from, from how it was processed. Right, we just see it as, hmm, this tastes good. How can we increase the taste of this food? How can I, how can I meet my you know, dopamine, you know, needs, right? That's all it is. We're just trying to please ourselves to the max, right? You see these 10,000 calorie challenges on YouTube where, you know, people eat like a pizza with, with a burrito inside of it and French fries rolled up. And it's like, that's, to me, that's an abomination, like completely unnecessary. So again, really check your privilege. And people are, are afraid of that word, but it's kind of a trigger for some people, but think about it. I mean, we're all privileged in different ways. Um, and especially, again, in first world countries, we, we can afford to not eat. We can afford to eat more, right? What about countries where foods like eggs and beef, which are incredibly cheap, liver, liver is so cheap, yet it has, it's one of the most nutrient-dense foods in the world. 
shellfish is right behind that, right? And, and how can we look down on people who eat these foods in a way that they honor their food, they're grateful for their food? In America, we waste so much food, and actually, guess what? Guess where most of that waste comes from? Vegetables, fruits, grains. Okay, we don't really waste that much meat. We, I mean, we definitely, I think it's about 20% meat, and 40, 30 to 40% of, of vegetables go to waste, right? It's ridiculous. And so, again, we're, we're imposing our ideologies on others based on, based on belief. So I think we really need to take a step back. Again, if my goal is not to convince you to do anything in, uh, in terms of diet, in terms of, of fitness, anything. There's many things that work. What I don't want is, you know, people raising fear in others, trying to guilt you into doing what they want. Guys, we're fighting ourselves, but really we need to look at upstream, at industry, money talks, always follow the money, right? And I don't want to sound like conspiracy theorist, but I mean, industry is behind so many things. We see that they um, influence research, which is even more scary. It's like, where do we get our information from, right? But we don't need we don't need fake meat. We don't need lab-grown meat. I mean, those are, uh, those are two issues. I mean, if you look at the ingredients in plant-based meat, you have canola oil, maltodextrin, bamboo, like cellulose from bamboo. Like, this is another just processed food, okay? Whereas if you look at beef, it's just beef, right? Again, I think we should raise it ethically, sustainably, grass-fed, grass-finished if you can. But again, I'm not one to impose my beliefs on you, but I'm just giving you the information. So, oh, man. All right, let's take a breather. Inhale through the nose, out through the nose. <sighs> right. So I've been, again, I've been working on this for quite some time now. But I, I want to make sure that I got the right information to you guys. I'll give you the whole picture. Again, we can make an argument for not eating plants. I mean, we can always manipulate data to show you whatever we want, right? We can say that plant foods have oxalates and lectins that damage your gut, that can give you um, kidney stones, uh, foods like phytates, which inhibit and um, nutrient absorption. Those are all true, right? I'm not advocating for that because I think plants also have benefits. But again, if you look at the studies, right, it's overwhelming that, you know, oh, meat causes cancer, plants are good. But look more critically. We need to look more critically at these studies. And I forgot to mention earlier, there's studies that show there's no difference um, in, in mortality between healthy vegetarians and healthy non-vegetarians, okay? There's a study called the 45 and up study. This was 250,000 men and women in Australia. They found no difference in their health. Again, we're comparing apples and apples. We can't compare apples to oranges. Another study also found the same um, and no significant difference in all-cause mortality uh, for vegetarians and non-vegetarians. Again, I have the links. I'll put them in, in, the, in the show notes. But again, I think that we need to look critically, be open-minded, do not miss the forest for the trees. And that's the message I want to leave you on, guys. Again, uh, please share this. Uh, you know, I, I know I asked you guys to share it, share my, my podcast every time I do one. Um, it's taken ex probably more research and time that I have available to me that I should be devoting to writing my papers and studying for, for exams. But I think this is really valuable information. And again, the last thing I want is to create a bigger divide. We have too much divisiveness in today's world. Um, my goal is not to convince you of anything. My goal is not to shift your perspective. Anything I said does not invalidate um, your decision to go plant-based or to be vegan. 
Um, again, I just want to raise awareness on, on both sides of issues because there's always you know, a flip side to things. So thanks again for listening, guys. Um, I'll catch you next time.